Yeah, hello everyone. Hi. <laughs> I'm a bit loud. Would you mind turning me down, Lindsay? Thank you. All right, well, I'm booming tonight. Uh, okay, let me talk to you about a song that I like to hear. The composition of I'd Do Anything for Love by Meatloaf is a wonderful rock ballad. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hands up if you know that song. Okay, thank you. Good. All right, good. We're in. Now, this is a smash hit from 1993, worldwide phenomena. It's epic power chords, angelic backing. Uh, it's got romance-laden duets, uh, anthemic pace changes. Uh, it's designed so that back when it was a thing, it would be lighters in the air. But these days, it's designed so that the phones would be in the air. It would just be you know, a sea of lights in its day. But back in 2011, Meatloaf came to Australia for the AFL Grand Final, and he performed three songs. Do you remember this? Have you, have you seen this? Wow. All right, so it was, his performance was not perfect at all. So his his timing was way off. There was, it was like zero timing. The pitch was off. He probably, he was nowhere near the right key. It was like, oh my goodness, a star has fallen. And it was, he, he butchered his own song. It was incredible. You just wouldn't think that it would happen. Now, when you see that, you just, you, you kind of, you can distinguish between the composition and the performance. And Meatloaf's performance was so sad because you, if you had heard the original song, you heard the composition, you know how good it can be, and so then the difference is so stark. Jesus wrote a beautiful composition. He did. The Christian faith, ministry, wonderful, beautiful, perfection. And Christians have not performed it consistently well. Sometimes they've been badly out of tune, like Meatloaf, the AFL Grand Final, and sometimes they've played something completely different. And when we see that sort of stuff, and then we compare with the original, with Jesus, and His wonderful, beautiful composition, Christ makes Christians look pretty bad. But sometimes there are wonderful moments when Christians do play that tune really well, so well that it makes our own hearts sing. And we're just, it, it, you just feel chuffed. You get such a feeling, this is fantastic. How do we know when Christian leaders are playing the tune well? What does good ministry look like? And how do you know if you're on the right track? How do you know if you're on the right track as you grow in your capacity for gospel ministry? In today's passage, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they defend their ministry against, you know, some things that were being said about them that Timothy sort of, you know, made them aware of. And in doing so, they set out how they thought about their ministry, what they did, how they did it, why they did it in the church at Thessalonica. And the evidence shows that their ministry, what they did, was a masterful, heartwarming performance of Jesus' composition. And they provide us with three choice metaphors for understanding what they did, what good ministry looks like. And it is this, mother, father, and herald. 
Just go blank. That's for you, Ethan. All right. To catch you up on the history of the letter and what has happened so far in this story. Paul and his friends are on a massive uh, missionary journey throughout the Roman world. They've stopped off off at Philippi. They did some great ministry there. And that was where um, Paul and Silas got badly mistreated. They got abused. They got locked up overnight. It was pretty bad. They went out from there, and they went a couple of other places. Then they get to Thessalonica, and they do some gangbusters ministry there until the Jews incited the locals to violence. Now, Paul fled the city so that the locals wouldn't get caught up in the violence and killed. I think that was a good idea. Let's not die, or let's not have our burgeoning church get killed. So, Paul, Paul went on, and then he got to Athens, and he sent Tim- Timothy back. It's not too far. Timothy went and hang out with the church, got a report, came back, and said, things are going really well. These guys are full of faith and repentance. So this letter that we're reading right now is Paul, Silas, and Timothy's response back to the church in Thessalonica saying, this is awesome, keep going, loving it. Uh, And you can feel the warm and fuzzies all throughout the letter. Last week, we looked at, in chapter one, we made an effort to notice and to thank God for all the people who responded to the word of God by turning from idols. This week, I think God is helping us to recognize good ministry amongst us. Uh, Now, good patterns, so that we can recognize it when we see it, and so that we can also make sure that we're following gospel-grounded type relationships. And so we we can be a little bit more focused when we pray for ourselves and others. So point one, let's dive in. Mother. Please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're starting halfway through verse 8. We're going to dive in where Paul and his team compare their ministry to the ideal of a nursing mother caring for her child. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. We cherished you. We valued you so much. We gave the gospel of God to you. We shared our souls with you so that we might be good examples. We risked our lives for your sake. and We worked hard to only give and not to take. Part of our job in reading the Bible when there's a metaphor is to understand what is being said and what is not being said. Uh, Now, you can read around in the, the sentences around where he says that they were nursing mothers who cared, Uh, And I think we can come up with some connections. What he meant when he said that he was like a nursing mother. First, a nursing mother nourishes her child directly from her body. All right, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, all right? But similarly, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they fed the Thessalonians with spiritual food. That is the gospel of God. That's the nourishment that a, a mother 
offers is essential for a child's growth, just as spiritual nourishment is vital for spiritual growth. And they gave the gospel of God. That's how they fed. It's simply, uh, what, is this, what is this spiritual food? What is the word of God that they talked about? If we have a look through the rest of the book, they remind the Thessalonians of the things that they taught them, and it goes something like this. The simple facts of Jesus' life, his death, what it means, and what they need to do about it. And the facts are, Jesus died and rose again. And then they remind him, they remind them of his death and his resurrection, meaning that whoever believes in Jesus is rescued from the coming wrath. And we know that they heard the call to faith and repentance because that's what they actually did. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Pause. Just like the Thessalonians, have you accepted the good news? Have you received God's kindness through Christ? And then do you rest upon Christ alone for your rescue from the coming wrath of God? Okay, second, a nursing mother often sacrifices her comfort for the well-being of her child. She probably, she's probably waking up a lot in the middle of the night and then all throughout the day, you know, whatever happens, it revolves, it revolves around the baby's needs. And Paul echoes this sacrificial life thing by mentioning how they, they, he worked day and night to avoid being a burden and to give to them. He was selfless in his ministry. That's what characterized it. So if you're seeking to grow in your capacity in gospel ministry, here's how you know if you're on the right track. If you are growing in your capacity to serve selflessly. So we're looking to put on a new children's minister. We would love to have one. Please continue to pray for one. What kind of person are we looking for? We're looking for someone who serves selflessly. And in this regard, I look up to Judy Heath at our early morning service. I do scripture with Judy each and every week. She's such a blessing. Now, Judy is not a mother, but just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so Judy cares for her children when she comes and teaches at our uh, Sunday morning groups, our kids' groups, and in her scripture class every single Tuesday. Because she loves them so much, she's delighted to share with them not only the gospel of God, but also her life. Judy is, I think she's 86 this year. It might be 87. She hasn't got long left. What she has left is precious. And she confesses that she wants to do scripture for as long as she can. She's delighted to share with these children the gospel of God and her very life, what she has left to give. She says to her class, um, I'm here, um, I'm here to introduce you to my friend, Jesus. Love it. Point one, good ministry of the word looks like the caring, nourishing, and selfless activity of a mother nursing her child. Point number two, father. Please move your finger down onto verse 10. Let's have a look together. 
Here, Paul and his company compare their ministry to the ideal present father, encouraging and urging his child. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom. We dealt with each of you as a father, an ideal father, who deals with his own children by encouraging, comforting, and urging them to live lives worthy of God. At the introduction there, he says that he was righteous, holy, and blameless. They did only what would please God, and then they treated the Thessalonians right. He says, we thought about what you needed in the early days of you coming to faith. We came alongside you and and beckoned you on. Come on, you can do this. Well, more like God can do this, and he did it in you. And then he consoled them and cheered them up when times were tough and hard, and they were being attacked for their faith. And the last line, he urged them to look up to God and to line their lives up with God's character and his values. So what does Paul mean generally and then about him being like a father to them? Here's two more ways which I think this connects. A father's actions serve as a model for his children. He said that they were holy, righteous, and blameless. And that's one of the ways that he was like a father. And so Paul and his team are reminding the church of how they set a good example, illustrating how spiritual leaders should walk the talk. So fathers, and you who may one day be fathers, your children need to see you setting a good example. You will be watched For the rest of your life, you will be watched. And your sons may need to know what a good Christian man looks like. And your daughters will need to know. Well, they need to see an example of Christian maturity, but they also need to recognize what a good Christian man looks like. In the simple act of setting a good example you would help your children to see where they are going. Now, the other aspect of fatherhood is guiding, setting boundaries, disciplining for their good. Paul's exhortation to live lives worthy of God is all about correction. Come on, this way. And encouragement, yes, you're doing the right thing. Keep going on the straight and narrow. It's not easy. And all of us need it. He's saying this is an important responsibility on the part of fathers in particular, to stay on the right path. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to be furious when they go off and they do something different. More like curious, because what you're trying to do is to equip them to think like a Christian, and so to live like a Christian. And so it's not, what are you thinking? But what are you thinking? What is going on inside that head? 
help me understand the dots that you're joining. Ah, let me help you join some different dots. So that they might put together a Christian worldview and they might see the world through God's eyes and so live the whole of their life for the cause of Christ. But the question that we have to ask ourselves a question, are you living a life worthy of God? Or are you living a life of half-hearted obedience to God? Do you sincerely trust in Jesus yet? Are portions of your life governed by the world's rules, by the way that the world thinks instead of Christ's? rules. And while giving your worship to Jesus, are you actually withholding time, withholding money, or withholding some favorite sinful habit from Jesus? According to Paul, this is no way for a Christian to live. It's impossible to think that Christ will settle for lukewarm devotion and half-hearted service. In Revelation 3.16, you should check out all the 3.16s in the Bible, actually. It's a lot of fun. Jesus says that because you are lukewarm, he's talking to a particular church who are really struggling, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. But you ought to expect that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion on the day of Christ. And so Christ is committed to growing you, to maturing you, and he will intervene in your life in various ways to motivate you to embrace that high, call, that high calling you've received so that you might live a life worthy of God and these changes may hurt whatever this is whatever this area of your life is it can hurt to change and to give it up it may be inconvenient it may cost you but God didn't call you to an easy and pain-free life the life of the Thessalonians is a good example of that Months after becoming Christians, they faced persecution and they paid a heavy cost. But God has called you into his kingdom, into a life-giving freedom, into the most exciting adventure of your life. And whatever that thing is that God is calling for you to give up, following Jesus and living a life worthy of God is worth the cost. Point number two, good ministry looks like the example and guidance of an ideal father who sets a good example and disciplines his child. Point number three, herald. Here Paul and his team show that they have an understanding of all of their ministry, where it's all of it is a part of God's communication. They are God's heralds. From verse 12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory, who 
who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So just think a bit about this from Paul, Silas, and Timothy's perspective. Even though you've only heard the gospel from us, <laughs> even though you heard our voices preaching, teaching, encouraging, urging, even though we loved you, even though we shared our lives with you, even though we worked hard for you and ministered to each one of you what you heard, it was actually God who calls you into his kingdom. Paul was an apostle, a herald, an envoy of Christ. And to represent Christ well, he set out not only to win souls for Christ, but hearts and lives, the whole package is a part of the message. He loves because Christ loves. And you know what? God was involved in every step of Paul and his team's ministry. Christ really did make his appeal through them. Verse 2, let's have a little walk through the passage again. Just notice some details. In verse 2, it was with the help of God that they dared to even tell them the gospel. Verse number four, Paul was approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel in the first place. Verse six, God had appointed Paul to be his apostle, his special messenger. Verse eight and nine, Paul's message was the gospel of God, not his own, but it was from God. It was God's communication. Verse 13, Paul recognizes that God made it possible for those who believed to accept the Word of God as it is the very Word of God. There was nothing else that could have done that except for God himself. And incredibly, Paul recognizes the, spirit, the supernatural work of God so that these guys would persevere and continue in their faith in such hardship. Paul and his team are King Jesus' ambassadors. And they spoke on the behalf of King Jesus. Be reconciled to God. Be at peace with God. Come into his kingdom. So the pattern of good ministry that we have in front of us is that of herald of God. We, when we do good ministry, it's not our words. We don't have to think up very much. It's God's words. It's God's invitation. It's his proclamation. So what kind of preaching would you like to hear up the front? All of us, you know, might have our favorite preacher. What kind of, what's your favorite? You know, when we have the National Church Life Survey, it comes out with like um, the, the things that you would value. Our church values uh, Bible teaching, big time. It's our highest one by a lot. What you need from your minister is the Word of God. Week in, week out, the minister who's up here on this pulpit, or up there, or from there, will show you from the scriptures that their teaching is faithful to God, it's the gospel, and they will call you to faith and repentance. Because that's what we all need. We need God's message. Point number three, good ministry looks like a herald calling others on Christ's behalf to enter the kingdom. So Paul and his team, their ministry, the pattern of their ministry is the gold standard. Mwah, love it. 
Their performance on the tune of of Christ's uh, original, wonderful, beautiful, masterful, I love it, just warms the heart. But you know that Christians don't always play this tune very well, don't you? We're not always playing Christ's composition perfectly. There may be times when you are tempted to follow the teachings of, let's say, like a televangelist. But time and time again, we find out that these guys are just, they're putting on a mask to cover up their own greed. Closer to home, the ministry team has had to warn people about cults and cult leaders in Sydney. Because what do we have? We have people whose appeal springs from error and let's call them impure motives. Some of your witnesses of ministers in local churches where they have not been holy, righteous, and blameless, and you've seen the uh, trail of destruction that they leave behind. Even closer to home, you may have seen in a household near you a father or a mother who has not lived up to these ideals and every father and mother knows that they have not lived up to these ideals that have been explored in the passage. These performances do not reflect well on the goodness of Christ's perfect composition. And it's sobering to realize that not not all of the performances will go well. But when you do see your ministers or your growth group leaders or your Christian brothers and sisters or your, the mother or the father in your household, when you see them performing Christ's tune well, God is the one who deserves the praise. Every good gift comes from above. And do you know what? God is the one whom we follow in all of this. God is the one who truly cares for you, who nourishes you with his word and gives of himself selflessly through his son, Jesus. And think your fathers, you know, Christ is the truest example, the truest model for us to follow. And our father in heaven guides us and disciplines his children for our good. And it is God who calls us through his son, to enter into his kingdom. God be praised. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, Father, we thank you for when ministry is pleasing to you, when your people care like a mother, discipline like a father, and proclaim like a herald as the good news of Jesus is shared all over the world. And God, we especially thank you for when that happens in our church, in our households, and in our lives. So Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.